Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Letters from the Least. Today's topic is Catholic imagination and romance. I am Claire McCallan, your poet in residence, I guess, and I am going to be taking you through, I believe, four poems today on the romantic Catholic imagination. Love your dreams, work hard, stay focused. A lot can change in a year. I know this, but even if it doesn't, don't let that break it down. Your goals and your dreams is where the magic's found. Failure's something that we all must accept, cause the only thing worse than death is regret. You dig? Probably don't even have to say this, but these poems aren't gonna be romantic in the traditional sense. We're, we're looking in the broader sense um, with our first poem actually about being uh being about kind of the romance that one has with their dream you guys will notice just about everything uh comes back to having a dream for me and a lot of my most romantic and lovey-dovey poems are written to my great love my my art my my dream here uh especially as you know a young single young super single person uh, my art has been the great love of my life thus far. Um, <laughs> maybe it will be It's all up to you, God. You just, you just let me know how you want this to go down. Uh, <laughs> but my art has been kind of the, the one I am always trying to woo and tro- always trying to convince like, come on, I can make life for us. Like, please just be successful. Please just work out. Uh, and that is where the idea for this poem came. It is me trying to woo Lady Poetry and get her to accept my proposals. So, poem one. Very romantic, me and my poetry. <laughs> poem one. An idea started yesterday. I was rocking a screaming baby and finished today while I was cleaning dog excrement. I love my art best when I do the work that I truly hate, just to support the work I love. Our love, like most great loves, is set apart by the sacrifices I make for it, which is a necessity because my art can't be romanced the way most others can. And why should she be? She is a New York woman after all. If you don't believe me, try reciting a poem to poetry herself and tell me just how far it gets you. I guarantee you'll never see a second date, let alone the career you've been dreaming of. No, it seems that the only thing that can woo her is feet aching, back-twisting, hard work. She told me in no uncertain terms that she isn't interested in another starving artist. She wants stability. She wants security. She wants someone worth committing to. She's the lady, not easily impressed. And I, her unfortunate suitor, am hardly discouraged. Last night, much to her bemusement, she spotted me walking home from another odd job and uneven paycheck. She called for her sisters to rise from bed and see the poor sucker who's been throwing rocks at her windows these last few years. Even at my expense, her humor enticed me. Poetry must have been feeling particularly devilish, and I must have been feeling particularly gullible because when she sat on the sill, and asked how I planned on making a life for her, I answered in earnest. I shouted back about the dog walking and the babysitting. I shouted back that all you actually really need is love. I shouted back even after she closed the window, collapsing into giggles at another lovesick pool. So that was written um, maybe about six months before I moved out 
of New York when I had quit my salary job to be a full-time artist. And it seemed like such a foolproof plan. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to make all my money off of poetry. I'm kind of ignoring that there wasn't too much money to be made off of poetry. And so, of course, I end up doing an insane number of weird, odd jobs. And I've had a lot of weird, odd jobs in my life. I was a dog groomer in a town near Normandy, France, when I was 21. I taught English in Barcelona. Um, I've worked at a senior citizen's home, a track and field camp. Uh, I worked on Capitol Hill. I, I'm trying to think. I feel like I'm forgetting some of the weird ones. Like, I have had some really, really random jobs, but nothing really compared to my experience in New York of these crazy babysitting, because it's New York City, so these people need you to babysit their kids to like 2 a.m., and then I'm waking up at 8 a.m. to go walk dogs for hours and hours. I was tracking it on my phone. There would be days where I'd walk dogs for a total of 20 miles, and I'd had the most grotesque blister situation going on, but it was all I could do to support myself and to support this dream, this lady poetry who was just draining my wallet day after day. Because um, having a dream is not cheap and it's not easy. Um, but putting it into poetry and putting it into these these love poems towards that which I love most uh, really helped put it in perspective. And at the end of the day, even these days were between the dog walking and the poetry and the babysitting, these like 18 hour days, I never doubted for once that it was worth it, which, like I said, young single, single person, never been in love, but I can only imagine that this must be how it feels when even when it is the most insane sacrifices you're called to make, you never question it for a minute. You you know it's always worth it. Uh, and that's how I have always felt about this dream and this passion. Like I said, my great love. Um, the second poem, ugh, is also written for some of my great loves, which is my incredible friends. Of course, I've mentioned before, oh gosh, she's just gonna, she's gonna get a big head from this. I'm just gonna keep mentioning her, but my best friend Miriam and I uh, made these friends uh, named Quinn and Sam and Linus. And we met them actually, speaking of weird jobs, we were touring Costa Rica for a month, our senior year of college, uh, working doing marketing for a bunch of hotels in all over Costa Rica, actually. And we met these boys who are like hardcore rockers uh, from Canada. And they were having their boys trip, uh, also with Leland and Mavio, a quick little shout out. Uh, and they were on vacation and we were down there working and we met these friends and we just clicked instantly. It was crazy. I don't know that we even had that much in common at all, but just this great friendship was born and I got to see them when their band came touring through to Brooklyn two years later. And then we took a trip up to Montreal when I was touring and I had a show up there to get to see our buddies again. And we had the greatest time, such similar, such similar souls. I think on the surface, maybe people would think that we don't have too much in common, but it's one of those great friendships where, I mean, they just have the best souls. I, I hope you guys are listening to this. Like, they have the best souls. I feel so blessed by these friendships. Um, and so I wrote this kind of romanticizing our experience together and this great friendship we've had. Yeah, this is our second poem. I hope they remember us by the messes we leave behind. Fifty years from now when historians study the unnatural disaster that was our 20s, 
I think our stained napkins and crushed beers can tell them a lot more than our trophies or term papers ever could. When they unearthed your cracked phone screen, I hope they dusted off with a smile, jotting in their notes that the fool who owned this piece of history was typical of their time, never looking where they were going, but always going anyway. When they find my receipts, I hope they roll their eyes and enter me into evidence. With any luck, my bar tab will be the damning piece of evidence proving that youth really was here for a good time and not a long time. I hope they can use the crumbs of your breakfast sandwich and the rings of my coffee mug to piece together a story for generations to come. Teachers will tell their wide-eyed students that back then there were boys who loved music and girls who loved poems and a god who loved them both. Some punk will raise their hand and ask if this will be on the test and if the teacher has even a shred of charity, she'll answer honestly. Yes, the answers you'll need are in the messes they leave behind. So that, I had a lot of fun writing because it's just so great when you get to write about people that you absolutely love and experiences. But it was just written about a, a day we went to a diner and our table at the end. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's so messy. Um, but it was just like a perfect imprint of our morning there that had been so great. And for me, poetry is an opportunity to immortalize those little moments and those little messes that I think we can find so much beauty in because it gives such an accurate representation of the way we were and the way that we are. And when we're looking at the topic today of Catholic imagination and romance, uh, I think there's really something to be said about romanticizing and etching down these moments of extraordinary in the ordinary that we find in our day-to-day -day life. And for me, that was that day, just having an amazing breakfast with my great friends and getting to turn it into art. I can't think of anything more, anything more Catholic or anything more romantic than that. It's universal. It's good. It's beautiful. It's true. And it's a chance to celebrate friendship. And our third poem, oh no, gosh, we've been on such a good roll today. We've been having happy poems about love and poetry and loving your friends. And unfortunately, our third poem is about true romantic love, but da -da -da, it's about heartbreak. So I wrote this, oh my goodness, I think I probably wrote this in between sobs. I had my little heart stamped all over, stamped, stomped. Well, it was in another country, so I guess passport was stamped. I had my little heart stomped all over and I wrote this a little bit as my battle cry as I was trying to heal from it. Um, it's such a tough one, you know, this whole dating process we find ourselves in and it takes no prisoners and we all end up a little, little bruised and battered for it. And I think so often we enter it, the dating scene um, with such great intentions and then other people's hurts can be a little contagious when someone hurts you in way a you often go on to hurt someone else in that same way and you're kind of passing it on it, it's tough and young catholic singles these people in their mid-20s late 20s these single people i think we're often a niche group that the church forgets to cater to um and because of that, we've been left without a lot of guidance. And so there is so much unintentional hurt happening between young Christians in the dating world because they just don't know how to go about it. Um, and so this is my third poem uh, that I wrote, like I said, in previous episodes, 
when you are listening to this, you're listening to my diary. So this was not written to like make some other girl feel better. I hope it does. But like this was written to make me feel better very much in the moment I was sitting um, in my aunt's guest room. Just I, I didn't want to cry in front of my beloved Aunt Marion. So I told her that my stomach hurt and I was up in my room scribbling this down. And here it is, poem three. Something very strange has been happening inside of me. See, I'm experiencing an infrastructure rupture, a marrow disembowel, a reorganization of my organs. Because it seems that every time my heart breaks for the millionth time, a piece of shrapnel floats off and reattaches itself to my spine. I am growing a heartbreak backbone, closing my eyes and pinning a phalanx dart against the unknown. My bones are dissembling and dismantling as the snapped cords of my harp ribs sing, this is dust to ashes. This is skeletal celebration after the Black Plague passes. This is dancing in the graveyard while holding your breath, big little girl. This is a big life after a little death. This is a resurrection poem for a boy I wish I hadn't known. This is reflexology as the results come back from toxicology. They say, patient zero, what did we tell you? If you're not going to follow directions, then to hell with you. Keep the cartilage around your heart where it belongs. It's the only way to protect yourself from the ways the world will do your wrongs. And to this fatal diagnosis, I flip. Ugh, bones unbroken. Maybe there's some gray matter dripping out of my terracotta stigmata, but the pottery of who I ought to be, believe you me, will still come to be. Because see, <laughs> these aren't shell casings. These are confetti. And ready or not, not if you're ready, because big little girl is holding the weight of this big little world. Believe you, me, and watch it come to be. This isn't scorched earth. This is rebirth. So, next time you're feeling dramatic after getting dumped, just comfort yourself with the fact that you didn't write that poem. I mean, I mean, the imagery in this, you, you would think that something really horrible happened to me, that it, it really didn't. It was just, I, I think more than anything, my pride was, pride was hurt, which is so often what it is. But if you're feeling dramatic, or if anyone calls you dramatic, just show them my poem where I suggested that like my bones were breaking and my brains were leaking out. So you're fine. You're not dramatic. You can't, you can't be more dramatic than this. Uh, yeah. Dating, dating is hard, but man, is it, is it a great writing prompt, right? I think we're all better for getting to have to kind of bring it back to what I mentioned before I recited the poem responsibly and gently and graciously dating within or outside of the church and just remembering this is not just like a boy or a girl who you've gone on a date with like this is a brother and sister in Christ and acting accordingly uh, and that really does come down to communication I have this joke with my friends we call it holy ghosting it's when you get ghosted within the church <laughs> uh, we have a responsibility to each other and if you are a Christian, you are representing the church in everything you do. And you need to be held responsible for that and accountable for that. We all do. And it is not comfortable, whether it's telling someone you like them or telling someone you don't like them. 
you have a responsibility to yourself, to your brother or sister in Christ, and to the truth. And you need to hold yourself to that standard. Because if you don't, you are misrepresenting your church and your faith and your gender. And it's not a good look. Uh, and I'm saying this as someone who has been on the receiving end of that. And also as someone who has done that and hurt other people in that way because of my own cowardice and my own indecision. And at the end of the day, what it comes down is to my own sins. And I, it's never malicious. It's never nefarious. But that said, it is it is grave. It's a big deal to hurt someone in that way, um, to use someone to avoid giving them the truth in order to keep your reputation or to keep even just your reputation amongst just yourself, just how you see yourself. Because when you admit to someone that you did wrong, maybe that means for a moment you're going to have to admit to yourself that sometimes you're the bad guy, which is not something we like doing. Uh, but I think it is extremely important, which is why for my fourth poem, I actually went with something that does not explicitly hit our topic, but um, I have here in my notes that I wanted to finish with a prayer poem to finish the discussion and give the audience a chance to reflect and atone for hurts that they have received and incurred during the dating process. Um, kind of coming off because maybe that last poem really made you think about times that you've been hurt or times that you've hurt someone, chances are, if you've made it to 25 and you're still dating, you have been both. You have been um, the aggressor and the victim when it comes to hurting. So let's pray this one together. Okay, this is our fourth poem, also from my second poetry tour. All right, poem four. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I said, Father, forgive me, but I think they do. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. I said, salvation doesn't have to cost this price. He said, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. I said, God, I am not yet strong enough to take care of another. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He thirsts. I drink the wine. It's finished and I... Begin serving my time. Father, into thy hands he commended his spirit. Father, out of your breast I draw this lyric, my God. There is no greater loneliness than feeling forgotten by you. And I know that I often forget you too. When I'm happy and busy and things are good, I don't always include you the way I should. Sometimes it feels like when your son went home, we lost touch. It just feels like you and I, we don't talk that much. And I know I could come over. You have a ready and willing shoulder for the tears and the fears and the victories and the mysteries. But selfishly, Father, I just need you to come to me. Father, forgive me for I have no idea what I'm doing. Today, I want to be with you in paradise, but today... I don't want to take your advice. I don't want to be anyone's mother. I'm not scared. I'm not ready to be accountable for another. My God, my God, why have I forsaken you? When the things you ask of me are so simple to do. He thirsts. I hoard the drink. 
I dry my tears with a rapid blink and say, it's finished. But he says it's only just begun. He says, Father, forgive her, for she knows not what she's done. So just a reminder for the millionth time, what you're reading here truly, truly is my diary. And that kind of serves as a letter from me to me about um, losing sight of Christ um, in how I respond towards him as God and also as I respond towards his presence in my fellow man, which is why I wanted to include it um, following up on our sort of broken heart poem. Um, we can take those hurts that we have given or received and we can take them to Christ and bring them to the foot of the cross, bring them to confession and handle it and go forward and be different and make different choices. But also I would suggest if you're listening to this and if there's a very specific uh, situation coming to your mind where you think you may have hurt someone in this crazy, crazy dating world we live in, I would suggest to you, even if it feels like it was so long ago, even if it feels like this was awkward and I don't want to talk about it, maybe it didn't really hurt them that bad, I would suggest that you write them a letter. And if there is something to apologize for, apologize for it. Go to confession, get it out of your system, give it to God, take your penance, and go and handle it. Because I think we can all look at the hurts that we've felt and probably the person who hurt us has no idea how deeply they hurt us. Because we don't really want to let people know because we don't want to make them feel bad and there's our pride involved. But people do carry these hurts. And one way to help relieve that burden that someone is carrying is to take responsibility for it and to tell them, yeah, you're not crazy, that I did do wrong and you didn't deserve it. I recognize your worth, even if I didn't act like it in the moment. And you deserve to hear an apology and you deserve to have that worth reaffirmed by me, the person who disrespected it. And just go forward from there. It, it takes a big hit in the pride and you might think, oh my gosh, it was so long ago. And you might think like, oh, was it really a big deal? Like worst case scenario, you apologize for something and someone's like, oh gosh, no, it didn't even matter to me. And maybe that's the truth. Maybe they're playing it cool, but you're never going to be worse off for bringing what feels dark and gross and icky and possibly bad into the light. We talked about this earlier in our episode about unmasking the devil, like bring it into the light, even if it's awkward, even if it's uncomfortable, especially if it's awkward, especially if it's uncomfortable, go and then bring it into the light and unmask the devil in that. And it's part of that healing that we as young people who are struggling in a culture that isn't really conducive to how we would like to date. It's something we can do to serve ourselves and serve each other and help get us all one step closer to heaven. So I will step off my soapbox and end the episode there. Just always lead with your heart. That's lesson one. Because if you don't, you'll have nothing, baby. Lesson one. My name is Claire McCallan. Thank you for listening to my diary. This is Letters from the Least, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. And if you like what you hear, you can go and find all of my brother and sister podcasts online, all sorts of good stuff. And you can even donate to our Patreon to ensure that we're able to continue putting out work like this in the future. All right. Have a great day and God bless. Bye.